All right. You're with Pete, and we're reading The Lady or the Tiger by Frank Stockton. Just going to do a quick Google. That's, this is from 1882. I really like when things are old and, and good. <laughs> it reminds me that the past could still be funny and interesting and fun. Okay, The Lady or the Tiger, Frank R. Stockton. In the very olden time, there lived a semi-barbaric king whose ideas, though somewhat polished and sharpened by the progressiveness of distant Latin neighbors, were still large, florid, and untrammeled, as became the half of him, which was barbaric. <laughs> okay, starting right now with a character, a semi-barbaric king. Wow, the late 19th century or the late 1800s, was really obsessed with who's a savage and who's civilized. So this is a somewhat barbaric civilization uh, or king, and they've been uh, civilized by their Latin neighbors, Latin capital L, meaning like uh, the Romans, you know, the Roman language, Western Europe, basically. He was a man of exuberant fancy and withal, of an authority so irresistible that at his will, he turned his varied fancies into facts. It's a nice creative way to say powerful king. He was greatly given to self-communing, and when he and himself agreed upon anything, the thing was done. When every member of his domestic and political systems moved smoothly in its appointed course, his nature was bland and genial. Genial? Genial? I know that word. I, I just can't say it right now. Bland and genial. 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 It's genial. But whenever there was a little hitch and some of his orbs got out of their orbits, he was blander and more genial still. Genial? For nothing pleased him so much as to make the crooked straight and crush down uneven places. Okay, so nice character introduction. We have a semi barbaric king who likes to make things, who likes to fix things, and is very powerful. Among the borrowed notions by which his barbarism had become semified was that of the public arena, in which by exhibitions of manly and beastly valor, the minds of his subjects were refined and cultured. So something about arena culture, probably borrowing this idea of the Romans and their Colosseum as a place to perform gladiator combat uh, for the population. But even here, the exuberant and barbaric fancy asserted itself. The arena of the king was built not to give the people an opportunity of hearing the rhapsodies of dying gladiators, nor to enable them to view the inevitable conclusion of a conflict between religious opinions and hungry jaws but for purposes far better adapted to widen and develop the mental energies of the people. Okay, this is a real in joke here. He's talking about this king has built an arena, but it's not for the, to hear the dying of gladiators fight, and it's not for the inevitable conclusion of a conflict, so the, the end of a fight between religious opinions and hungry jaws. So pe people who are religious like Christians and hungry jaws like lions, he's saying that calling on this uh, small part of Roman 
uh, Colosseum culture, which was killing people, sometimes Christians, but not to a great majority. Anyway, Mary Beard writes about that. You don't have to hear me talk about that. So his arena is not for that, it's for something else. This vast amphitheater with its encircling galleries, its mysterious vaults and its unseen passages was an agent of poetic justice in which crime was punished or virtue rewarded by the decrees of an impartial and incorruptible chance. I like it. You got a character, powerful king, you have a location, uh, right away that we can start to picture an arena and it's something about uh what do we got here what is his word uh, in which crime was punished so they don't mention a trial or anything but a crime was punished or virtue rewarded by chance by luck when a subject was accused of a crime of sufficient importance to interest the king public notice was given that on an appointed day the fate of the accused person would be decided in the king's arena, a structure which well deserved its name for although its form and plan were borrowed from, a, borrowed from afar, its purpose emanated solely from the brain of this man, who every barley corn a king, every barley corn, I've never heard that expression, uh, every barley corn a king knew no tradition to which he owed more allegiance than pleased his fancy and who engrafted on every adopted form of human thought and action the rich growth of his barbaric idealism. Okay, so it looks like the trials or the punishment or rewards for the king have his own flavor to them, maybe something barbaric or idyllic to it. When all the people had assembled in the galleries and the king surrounded by his court sat high up on his throne of royal state on one side of the arena, he gave a signal. A door beneath him opened and the accused subject stepped out into the amphitheater. Now directly opposite him on the other side of the enclosed space were two doors, exactly alike and side by side. It was the duty and the privilege of the person on trial to walk directly to these doors and open one of them. This is a classic image of a person having to choose between one of two doors. He could, open either, uh, he could open either door he pleased. He was subject to no guidance or influence, but that of the aforementioned impartial and incorruptible chance. If he opened the one, there came out of it a hungry tiger, the fiercest and most cruel that could be procured, which immediately sprang upon him and tore him to pieces as a punishment for his guilt. The moment that the case of the criminal was thus decided, doleful iron bells were clanged. Great wails went up from the hired mourners posted on the outer rim of the arena and the vast audience with bowed heads and downcast hearts wended slowly their homeward way, mourning greatly that one so young and fair or so old and respected should have merited so dire a fate. Okay, so when there's a crime that interests the powerful king, he calls a date in the arena. They assemble a crowd and the person chooses by luck one of two doors. So the first door we just learned is a tiger that rips you to shreds. And when it does so, they queue up these people hired to cry. They queue up the ringing of the bells and everyone goes, oh, that was such a sad thing to see. But if the accused person opened the other door, 
there came forth from it a lady, the most suitable to his years and station that his majesty could select among his fair subjects. And to this lady, he was immediately married as a reward of his innocence. Okay, very patriarchal uh, uh, premise here where only men can be accused of crimes and one of the rewards, or it looks like the reward, is a lady you'd be happy to marry. It mattered not that he might already possess a wife and family or that his affections might be engaged upon an object of his own selection. So it doesn't matter if you're married or if you're in love. The king allowed no such subordinate arrangements to interfere with his great scheme of retribution and reward. So this is, this is the king's vision. He's like, this is how an interesting crime should be decided. The exercises, as in the other instance, took place immediately and in that arena. Another door opened beneath the king and a priest followed by a band of choristers and dancing maidens blowing joyous airs on golden horns and treading an epithalamic measure advanced to where the pair stood side by side and the wedding was promptly and cheerily solemnized. Then the gay brass bells rang forth their merry peals. The people shouted glad, Hurrahs! And the innocent man, preceded by children strewing flowers on his path, led his bride to his home. This was the king's semi-barbaric method of administering justice. Its perfect fairness is obvious. The criminal could not know out of which door would come the lady. He opened either he pleased, without having the slightest idea whether in the next instant he was to be devoured or married. On some occasions, the tiger came out of one door and on some out of the other. So it's a, it's a random situation here. The decisions of this tribunal were not only fair, they were positively determinate. The accused person was instantly punished if he found himself guilty, and if innocent, he was rewarded on the spot, whether he liked it or not. There was no escape from the judgments of the king's arena. The institution was a very popular one. When the people gathered together on one of the great trial days, they never knew whether they were to witness a bloody slaughter or a hilarious wedding. This element of uncertainty lent an interest to the occasion which it could not otherwise have attained. This kind of stating the obvious, I mean, this would be a very interesting event. Thus, the masses were entertained and pleased, and the thinking part of the community could bring no charge of unfairness against this plan, for did not the accused person have the whole matter in his own hands? Okay, so there's your premise. No story has really happened yet. It's a really interesting premise of a powerful king and his creative, somewhat barbaric way of deciding uh, interesting crimes. He would bring them to an arena and they'd choose between two random doors. Behind one, a tiger that would kill them. Behind the other, a lady you'd be very happy to marry and they would be married on the spot. And now the story, which is to say, now that we know what's normal in this world, how is it, what's the wrinkle? How is it challenged? This semi-barbaric king had a daughter, as blooming as his most florid fancies, and with a soul as fervent and imperious as his own. As is usual in such cases, she was the apple of his eye and was loved by him above all humanity. Among his courtier, courtiers, courtiers, 
courtiers, courtier, it looks like courtiers. Among his courtiers was a young man of that fineness of blood. So I know the word. It's funny when you don't often say these words aloud. It's like members of the court. Uh, was a young man of that fineness of blood and lowness of station common to the conventional heroes of romance who love royal maidens. This royal maiden was well satisfied with her lover, for he was handsome and brave, to a degree unsurpassed in all this kingdom, and she loved him with an ardor that had enough of barbarism in it to make it exceedingly warm and strong. This love affair moved on happily for many months, until one day the king happened to discover its existence. He did not hesitate nor waver in regard to his duty in the premises. The youth was immediately cast into prison, and a day was appointed for his trial in the king's arena. Okay, so you've got a young man in passionate love with the king's daughter. Maybe the king doesn't see him as worthy or that's overstepping a bound. That guy's under arrest. You shouldn't be in love with the king's daughter. I don't know, maybe the king's supposed to choose who she marries, but this guy's in jail. The youth was immediately cast into prison and the day was appointed for his trial in the king's arena. This, of course, was an especially important occasion, and His Majesty, as well as all the people, was greatly interested in the workings and developments of this trial. Never before had such a case occurred. Never before had a subject dared to love the daughter of the king. There you go, that's how you know the story part has begun. So you have the routine, then you have this, never before had this happened. So knowing what we know about the king and about this situation, now as readers, we can start to think, okay, what's going to happen here? What is right? What is fair? What do we want to see happen? This guy was just in love with his daughter. Do we want to see him get the tiger? Do we want to see him get the lady? Or will this be the first time some third possibility is possible? Uh, in after years, such things became commonplace enough, but then they were in no slight degree novel and startling. Okay, so he's pointing out in this time, particularly, it was very unusual and wrong to fall in love with the king's daughter. The tiger cages of the kingdom were searched for the most savage and relentless beast from which the fiercest monster might be selected for the arena. And the ranks of maiden youth and beauty throughout the land were carefully surveyed by competent judges in order, that's a fun detail, just really serious able judges to, to find fair maidens in order that the young man might have a fitting bride in case fate did not determine for him a different destiny. Okay, so going out of their way here to pick a extra savage tiger and an extra fair lady. Of course, everybody knew that the deed with which he accused, uh, which the accused was charged had been done. He had loved the princess and neither he, she, nor anyone else thought of denying the fact. But the king would not think of allowing any fact of this kind to interfere with the workings of the tribunal in which he took such great delight and satisfaction. Okay, funny thing, plot hole here. The author is like, yeah, I guess he's already guilty. He did the crime of falling in love with the king's daughter, but the king's personality is like, time for a trial anyway. No matter how the affair turned out, the youth would be disposed of and the king would take an aesthetic pleasure in watching the course of events, which would determine whether or not the young man had done wrong 
in allowing himself to love the princess. Okay, so maybe that's the author just for himself. I'm already bought in. I want to see this happen. But he's like, it makes sense to the king. In any case, he wants to see this guy open a door. The appointed day arrived. From far and near the people gathered and thronged the great galleries of the arena, and crowds unable to gain admittance massed themselves against its outside walls. The king and his court were in their places opposite the twin doors, those fateful portals so terrible in their similarity. All right, stage is set, we're ready to go. All was ready, the signal was given. A door beneath the royal party opened, and the lover of the princess walked into the arena. Tall, beautiful, fair. His appearance was greeted with a low hum of admiration and anxiety. Okay, so people are like, oh. Half the audience had not known so grand a youth had lived among them. No wonder the princess loved him. What a terrible thing for him to be there. Okay, so this guy is so hot. Everyone's like, I didn't, wow. How did I not notice him in our society? No wonder she fell in love. As the youth advanced into the arena, he turned as the custom was to bow to the king. But he did not think at all of that royal personage. His eyes were fixed upon the princess who sat to the right of her father. Had it not been for the moiety of barbarism in her nature, it is probable that lady would not have been there but her intense and fervid soul would not allow her to be absent on an occasion in which she was so terribly interested. Okay, so patriarchy, male-dominated story here, the author's trying to explain, obviously a woman shouldn't be allowed at this event, but because the daughter's also semi-barbaric, she has these feelings, she needs to be there to see this. From the moment that the decree had gone forth that her lover should decide his fate in the king's arena, she had thought of nothing night or day, but this great event and the various subjects connected with it. Possessed of more power, influence, and force of character than anyone who'd ever been before been interested in such a case, she had done what no other person had done. She had possessed herself of the secret of the doors. She knew in which of the two rooms that lady behind those doors stood stood the cage of the tiger with its open front, and which the lady. Okay, so she knows, I, I don't feel I read that right. She knew in which of the two rooms that, oh, that lay. So she knew in which of the two rooms that lay behind those doors stood the cage of the tiger with its open front, and in which waited the lady. Through these thick doors, heavily curtained with skins on the inside, it was impossible that any noise or suggestion could come from within to the person who should approach to raise the latch of one of them. But gold and the power of a woman's will had brought the secret to the princess. Okay, very gendered, locked patriarchy story in which women are to be married, and men are to do the choosing here, even though it's by chance. But an interesting character, this barbarian's daughter, she has the power. She was obsessed with knowing which door is which, and she knows. And not only did she know in which room stood the lady ready to emerge, all blushing and radiant should the, her door be opened, but she knew who the lady was. 
it was one of the fairest and loveliest of the damsels of the court who had been selected as the reward of the accused youth, should he be proved innocent of the crime of aspiring to one so far above him. And the princess hated her. Often had she seen or imagined that she had seen this fair creature throwing glances of admiration upon the person of her lover. And sometimes she thought these glances were perceived and even returned. Now and then she had seen them talking together. It was but for a moment or two, but much can be said in a brief space. It may have been on most unimportant topics, but how could she know that? The girl was lovely, but she had dared to raise her eyes to the loved one of the princess. And with all the intensity of the savage blood transmitted to her through long lines of holy barbaric ancestors, she hated the woman who blushed and trembled behind that silent door. Okay, so she knows where the tiger is, she knows where the lady is, and she knows that this lady might have been flirting with her lover, the audacity of this lady. She hates, she feels jealousy, uh, probably related to her barbaric heritage. When her lover turned and looked at her, and his eyes met hers as she sat there, paler and whiter than anyone in the vast ocean of anxious faces about her. He saw by that power of quick perception, which is given to those whose souls are one. Okay, so they're, they're super connected in a way we hope to be with someone one day. That she knew, so he just looks at her and, and he knows, that she knew behind which door crouched the tiger and behind which stood the lady. He had expected her to know it. He understood her nature and his soul was assured that she would never rest until she had made plain to herself this thing hidden to all other lookers on, even to the king. The only hope for the youth in which there was any element of certainty was based upon the success of the princess in discovering the mystery. And the moment he looked upon her, he saw she had succeeded, as in his soul he knew she would succeed. Then it was that his quick and anxious glance asked the question, which? It was as plain to her as if he shouted it from where he stood. There was not an instant to be lost. The question was asked in a flash. It must be answered in another. Okay, so just through eye contact, they know each other so well. He knows she would have worked to get the answer. And with his eyes, is asking her, what door, what, what door? And right in an instant, she's going to respond. Her right arm lay on the cushioned parapet before her. She raised her hand and made a slight quick movement toward the right. No one but her lover saw her. Every eye but his was fixed on the man in the arena. He turned and with a firm and rapid step, he walked across the empty space. Every heart stopped beating, every breath was held, every eye was fixed immovably upon that man. Without the slightest hesitation, he went to the door on the right and opened it. Okay, so she signaled right door. He's walked confidently and opened the right door. Now, the point of the story is this. Did the tiger come out of that door or did the lady? The more we reflect upon this question, the harder it is to answer. Okay, so this is the moment we're most interested in and the author's delaying us here. Uh, the more we reflect upon this question, the harder it is to answer. The question being, of course, uh, which, is, which came through the door? The was it the lady or the tiger? It involves a study of the human heart, 
which leads us through devious mazes of passion, out of which it is difficult to find our way. Think of it, fair reader, not as if the decision of the question depended upon yourself, but upon that hot-blooded semi-barbaric princess, her soul as a white heat beneath the combined fires of despair and jealousy. She had lost him, but who should have him? How often in her waking hours and in her dreams had she started in wild horror and covered her face with her hands as she thought of her lover opening the door on the other side of which waited the cruel fangs of the tiger. So she's had all these nightmares about him opening and getting killed by a tiger. But how much oftener had she seen him at the other door? How in her grievous reveries had she gnashed her teeth and torn her hair when she saw his start of rapturous delight? as he opened the door of the lady, how her soul had burned in agony when she had seen him rush to meet that woman with her flushing cheek and sparking eye of triumph, when she had seen him lead her forth, his whole frame kindled with the joy of recovered life, when she had heard the glad shouts from the multitude and the wild ringing of the happy bells, when she had seen the priest with his joyous followers advance to the couple and make them man and wife before her very eyes, and when she had seen them walk away together upon their path of flowers, followed by the tremendous shouts of the hilarious multitude in which her one despairing shriek was lost and drowned. Would it not be better for him to die at once and go to wait for her in the blessed regions of semi-barbaric futurity? And yet that awful tiger, those shrieks, that blood. Her decision had been indicated in an instant, but it had made after days and nights, it had been made after days and nights of anguish deliberation. She had known she would be asked. She had decided that she would answer. And without the slightest hesitation, she had moved her hand to the right. The question of her decision is one not to be lightly considered. And it is not for me to presume to set myself up as the one person able to answer it. And so I leave it with all of you. Which came out of the open door? The lady or the tiger? Okay, that's the end. I... I don't like too many stories like this, but you gotta like at least one. The author sets up the premise, launches into this story, and at the height of our interest says, hey, you know as much as I do about my story. You know the premise, you know the characters. What, you know that this princess thought a lot about it. What did she decide? To send her lover to the lady? or the tiger, which I guess is really asking us uh, how strong do we think jealousy runs through people?